to do the like words about books as a poorly spoken podcast. I just I just have like a brief thing I want to read. All right. Words about books is a poorly spoken podcast. I'm Nate and that's Ben. Take it away. Okay. So this month for the book club, we're reading Promise of Blood by Brian McClellan, the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy. And as you know, we here at Words About Books, we are nothing if not thorough in our research. And so I did a lot of prep. I Googled a lot of things, some of which have probably put me on a list in preparation for this episode. One of the things I Googled was what would happen if a person ingested gunpowder? Now, naturally, where I go for most of my scientific inquiries is Quora, now that Yahoo Answers is no longer online. And I found an answer to this question that not only struck me as being scientifically sound, but personally inspiring. And the respondent may have actually been Brian McClellan himself. They offered the following anecdote. My grandfather ate one tablespoon of gunpowder every single day of his life. He credited that for the reason he lived such a long and healthy life. He died at the age of 101. He left behind six children, 19 grandchildren, 31 great-grandchildren, and a nine-foot hole in the wall of the crematorium. Now, I'm guessing that some of the naysayers in our audience might, may have found that anecdote funny, unbelievable, strange even. Well, buckle up, buddy, because in Brian McClellan's Powder Mage, we are going to eat so much gunpowder that you may well develop type Second Amendment diabetes. Type Second Amendment diabetes. <laughs> that's why you wanted to start this. That's the whole, uh, yeah, that's the only joke I had. That's the best joke I'm going to tell the entire episode. You you woke up in the middle of the night and you're like, Type Second Amendment yes, diabetes. Yep. I got it. <laughs> yep. I will either. That is on Quora. If you want to find that question, I I did find it almost immediately. Yes. <laughs> uh, some some jerk is trying to give a legitimate answer. Uh, he didn't quite get it. So. As a doctor, what do you think would happen if you ingested, uh, what, sulfur? This is the other thing I had to look up that probably got me on a list is uh, what's gun- how do you make gunpowder? <laughs> yeah, apparently, the sulfur and the carbon will just pass straight through you because your intestines have no way to absorb it. But the nitrate can be a problem, especially if it becomes partially reduced to nitrite. It can depend on how much. Over the course of a short term, too much nitrite can produce methemoglobinemia. I, I hate pronouncing medical stuff uh which can be <laughs> fatal because it prevents red blood cells from transporting oxygen in the longer term too much nitrite without ascorbic acid aka vitamin c at the same time can be transformed into nitrosamines which are carcinogens which that does check out i know nitrite in like curing meat uh, has been linked with cancer so i don't know if this is like true but you're you're missing a point because they're not ingesting it, uh, they're snorting it. Untrue, sir. Untrue. Because Thomas... I guess he does put it on he, his tongue. He puts it on his tongue constantly. Okay, so Thomas puts it on his tongue, but his son snorts it like Coke. Yeah, you can do it like acid, you can do it like Coke. Pick the drug analogy that works best for you. Can you put it in your rectum? I don't see why not. The only thing you can't do... <laughs> is smoke it for obvious reasons. Yeah, because, you know. Well, I mean, they have control over 
gunpowder <laughs> and they, they the energy. Like, I wonder if they yeah. could smoke it. Yeah, so maybe before we get started... Um, this is the the <laughs> crux of the book, actually. Yeah. <laughs> These are the questions that really... That really uh, hook you and, and make you dig deep into the story let's talk briefly about brian mcclellan and sort of where this book comes from yeah i i'm gonna be honest with you this is the first time on this podcast i forgot who the author of the book was so uh, i sent you a uh, yeah i'm gonna tell that story actually so as i'm researching <laughs> the podcast i i sent him the the book because i found out brian mcclellan went to um brigham young university and i was like Got another Brigham Young University alum on the podcast. We had Stephanie Meyer, and we <laughs> briefly touched on Orson Scott Card. And, um, he goes, "Oh, who is this? One of the one of the Crad versus Teku people?" And I was like, "Nope, nope. That's the book you're halfway through." <laughs> so that was that was fun. It was fun realizing that Nate had no idea what was going on, and that this was going to be a pretty Ben heavy podcast. So. <laughs> Ben heavy podcast. Well, I read about halfway through the book, and then I had to read the Crad versus Teku thing, and then I came back. I didn't know the names of the characters. I just kind of knew roughly what was going on in each of the three areas of the world. But yeah, I forgot most of the people, their names, and I didn't know the author's name. I d- I actually I got on this podcast. I still didn't know who the author was. I knew every other author that we've read so far, but I didn't know <laughs> Brian McClellan. That's not even a hard one to say. That's not a hard one to say, but I was unsure if his last name was McClellan. It's I McClellan. had forgotten it from the beginning of when we talked about him. And I don't mean to be a dick like that. Okay. So, as we stated, went to Brigham Young University, um, got his degree. He also took a course that Brandon Sanderson offers and no idea who that is. I know you don't. <laughs> One of the most famous fantasy authors of our generation, uh, arguably one of the most popular people in any book circle. First off, the man's a machine. He writes a book a year and they're pretty well received. They're they're not really my thing and we're we're going to get into that. He is a specialist in sort of the hard magic system fantasy where it's not like Lord of the Rings where the magic is very subtle. You're not even really sure if anybody's doing magic half the time. Nobody's the one rings really powerful, but what does it actually do that makes it so powerful? It makes you invisible except for the people you want to be invisible from the most. (laughs) Whereas a hard magic system is more rigidly defined. It's more like a game you could play. The rules are outlined, and so you know exactly what the stakes are when you're going in. Oh, this is why I recognized his name. I saw or read somewhere about the Stormlight Archive yes. and how it was an underappreciated gem, and I was thinking of bringing that to the podcast at some point. I'd be happy to read it. Like I, It's, it's not my favorite thing in the world. It's just not... I, I, there's something about a hard magic system that actually, well, for a lot of people, it gets them into the book because they understand it. It sort of takes me out of the book because... I thought I was one of those people who who <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't wait. Like, there's going to be a hard magic system. I'm going to understand all this stuff. Almost like Star Trek in a way. Like, you know, here's the situation. Here are the options. You can't just pull magic out of your ass and... And yeah, you're you're not going to take the Enterprise up to like warp twelve because right. it can't do that. That's the that's and not the, the rule. Enterprise isn't going to 
clone itself or there's nothing there's no weird thing that you can just pull out of thin air to solve a problem you have Bar to the use the tools deck. that have been established and i thought that's what i was going to get from this and maybe that's why i was a little frustrated but we'll get there that's definitely the kind of fantasy that i think brian mcclellan wants to write and so there's probably no better person to study under for that than brandon sanderson I, i've seen people whine a little bit and say that this this eight-week course is not technically studying under brandon sanderson but you know brandon sanderson is quoted on the cover of this book so obviously they've spoken i think it's i think it's perfectly fair this is a hard magic system this is also brian mcclellan's first book so you know maybe some of the problems you have with it have been ironed out in future books maybe his magic systems get a little bit better i know he's written a lot more in this world but he's also written just other stuff entirely now because the magic system is so important, I, I want to do a very quick version of what we did with Dune and get some of the terms and structure out of the way right up front. So there's a couple of levels of magical being, and I'm going to say being because I'm not entirely sure what everybody is, if they're human or not, but um, there are definitely people who are empowered with the ability to do magic and people who are not empowered with the ability to do magic yeah we learn that there are kind of three different types of mage at the beginning i think that's probably where we should focus i guess four different types if you want to count the bone eye which are mages from outside of yeah the countries the i was gonna go in order of power so there are gods and that's up in the air like people don't necessarily believe in the gods but from the tone of the book we figure like i don't know i i knew pretty quickly that there were the gods were going to be real right so i think it's it's hinted pretty early on that the gods are going to be real and you know that the characters are making a mistake for not believing that below the gods are the and i'm pretty i i was going to say pred 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 so those are a reveal but i was just gonna get it out of the way up front because i don't know if i'm gonna specifically stop to explain it later predae are mages that are like top tier not very many of them kind of an elite group they're immortal and they are powerful enough to summon the gods but predae are sort of the leveled up version of one of the three main groups of sorcerers known as privileged Privileged are sorcerers who can cast basically any kind of a D&D type spell. They can put up wards, they can summon the elements, they can do whatever. They also have like a specialty individually. Yeah, because this, is, this, this book is also heavily influenced by anime. I think anime has more... For uh, sure. <laughs> anime is more responsible for this book than the French Revolution. <laughs> uh, which... That, they didn't put that on the cover, but I'm going to go there. And one of the things you need to know about privileged is they need to make gestures with their hands to do their magic. And to enhance that, they use special gloves that look exactly like Roy Mustang's glove from Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> Just going to come right out and say it, huh? I, I would be... Okay, every picture I've ever seen of the people in this could easily be some like fantasy version of full metal alchemist do you disagree do you, do you get full metal absolutely alchemist? absolutely not okay. i i was getting full metal alchemist vibes throughout and especially with one of the characters that we'll come up with shortly that 
has like a one-to-one comparison almost yes. to a Full Metal Alchemist character. Having said that, I don't want to make it seem like I'm knocking him too hard. You could be influenced by whatever you want to be influenced by, and there's no shame in being influenced by anime. Just saying, it was influenced by Full Metal Alchemist, and there is... I mean, an- yeah, we were influenced yeah. by anime ourselves. So. There's enough of a difference that he's not like plagiarizing Full Metal Alchemist. I right. just, I was just surprised to see... like He, he wears his influences on his sleeve... And that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not one of my many problems. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I don't know if they need the gloves to do spells, but they wear gloves and they seem to at least enhance the spells to a large degree. They, I, I, yeah, I don't know if they need it to do the spells, but I don't think anyone did spells without them on. No, we never see that. But nobody like lost their gloves either. So you'd think they'd just get the stuff tattooed on their hands. Anyway, the... Uh, there's there's the next tier down, which is the marked, also known as the titular powder mage. They are people who have some unexplained magical affinity for gunpowder. This is kind of the crux of the book. This is the probably the concept that the entire thing was written around. They have a set of powers, and their powers don't make a lot of sense. But for some reason, they can consume the gunpowder either by eating it or snorting it, or possibly or per rectal or possibly as a suppository and they then enter something called a powder trance which improves all of their physical attributes they see better they hear better they fight better they heal faster they take less damage they just they huff gunpowder and then they become supermen yep and they also control the gunpowder yeah they sure do they can they can burn powder and then transfer that kinetic energy into bullets and fire bullets without a gun. Yes. They can also stop other people from using their gunpowder guns. Yes, they can control the explosions created by gunpowder. And they can redo, they can, the gunpowder has to be relatively close to them. There's one person who's a bit of an exception, but the gunpowder has to be near to them. And then they can redirect the explosion, but they can redirect the explosion. It seems like much further away because like the one character can tip his bullets. There's another thing there where it's like (laughs) bullets move real fast. So like that, they're in a powder trance. They have heightened senses. (laughs) I think that's the reason for it, honestly, because otherwise, yeah, how would you stop a bullet? Yeah, how do you move a bullet? But okay, so it's I'm going to say it's not explained. And this is like this is going to be like where some this is this is a filter for enjoying the book. I will say that you can either get on board with this or not. Right. I will tell you right now, never explained why it's gunpowder. Not in this book, at least. Maybe he dives into it in another book. I have no idea what the relationship between gunpowder and uh, a powder mage's magic is. They just seem to have a natural affinity for this manufactured human product. And I don't know why. It's it's odd in fantasy. Normally, normally it's more like pure elements or combinations of pure elements are magical in nature like you know fairies are harmed by iron not steel iron and werewolves are harmed by silver bullets and and gold has magical properties but rarely is it a specific alloy (laughs) like nobody's nobody's affected very strongly by bronze you know it's 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 strange 
but if, if you can just shut up, get on board, don't ask too many questions about that. You've passed the first filter, which I will say I, I could, I can just roll with it if we want. That being said, the book takes itself super, super seriously. And there is no sense of humor about that. So just be aware about that. Next at the bottom rung of the three main classes, we've got knacked people who have one magical superpower and it seems like it can be pretty much anything, but usually it's a relatively mundane talent or quirk of the body that is taken to like the nth degree. Like one guy doesn't need to sleep ever. He just doesn't need sleep. Right. The other guy has a perfect memory because we never get sick of another one. Yeah. We never get (laughs) sick of that. Can, can you even be a detective without having a perfect memory? Yeah, you write it down. <laughs> yeah, you can. I, I, I guess you could write it down, couldn't you? Um, next, we have a couple of other ones I just want to mention real quick. We got Wardens, which are Frankenstein monsters created by the privileged. They're super strong and super hard to kill. And then we have uh, the Bone Eyes, which, blinking, you might miss that term. Yeah, I forgot it was a term, honestly. It's at the like the beginning of the book. There's one Bone Eye mage in the entire book, and we will get into that. But um, the other thing I want to briefly touch on is the else, which is the magical realm that all empowered people draw on to perform their magic. They can also open their third eye, which I assume is a kind of mental switch and not an actual third eye that allows them to see into the else and perceive magic visually. They can see spells. They can see the aura around empowered people. And that's really all that's ever done with that. At least in this book. Yeah, and it's possible a lot of this is fleshed out in later books. So with that, I think we're ready to jump into our summary and start talking about it. And so, Nate, you want to kick the book off? I like the beginning of the book for sure. It starts out with a detective named is it Adamat? Adamat, yeah. Is that how you'd pronounce that? Okay. Everybody has like a very close to normal name that's fantasied up a bit. Adam, Adamat. Thomas is spelled T-A-M-S, T-A-M-A-S. Taniel instead of Daniel. Vlora instead of Flora. Yeah. So Adamant is a detective. I guess he's a he's a private eye. He used to be a police officer, police detective. He's summoned uh, to the royal palace. And while he's there, he realizes he basically just stepped in the aftermath of a coup. Field Marshal Tomas? Thomas? Is it just Thomas? I'm just going to call him Thomas. I'm 90% sure it's Thomas. Okay. Field Marshal Thomas had summoned him here, and he has overthrown the king. He and his uh, cabal of powder mages have killed all of the king's privilege, all of his elite guards. It's, It's over. The battle's won. But as the privileged were killed... They all whispered about something called Kresimir's... Kresimir's? I call it Kresimir. Kresimir's promise. They must keep Kresimir's promise. And so Thomas is like, that's some spooky shit. You're going (laughs) to figure out what that is. He sure is. That's exactly what Thomas says. Thomas is a drama queen, by the way. He does not put anything that succinctly. (laughs) Thomas is the guy who's, who's like, the age of kings is dead and I have killed it. Yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, it's worth mentioning the king's name is, like, King Manhooch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I laughed at that one. I don't know where he was going with that. I... 
<laughs> I read it as, as Manhouch. I, I have no idea if that's a reference to something I'm too stupid to get. But yeah, it looks like Manhooch, and it, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> so Thomas shoes Adamant out out the door, go, go solve that mystery. And I thought, wow, what a novel thing to do. We're going to experience the world through this detective's eyes. It's going to be like a mystery, not what I thought, which was like a guy overthrowing the monarchy. Like that part's already done. It's just going to be this detective doing detective work. Awesome. But then we shift perspective to Thomas. (laughs) I want to talk real quick about one of the problems I have with this book is that Adamat is a full third of the book. I want to, I didn't count, but I want to say it feels like half of every chapter at least or it, at least half of every chapter is dedicated to Adamat and his investigation. Yes. And the entire investigation and Adamat himself could be cut from this book and it would make almost no difference. There's a couple of key reveals that his investigation turns over, but there's no reason that we needed a whole investigation subplot to reveal them because the characters who do wind up doing the big reveals had a pre-existing relationship with, with Thomas and Taniel anyway. They didn't need to have Adamat go talk to him. <laughs> yes. I wish there was more for him to do. I like, like Adamat as a character, but his... He's probably my favorite of the three main characters that we follow. Of the three broy bros, yeah. But his subplot is so underwritten that it makes him seem like not a genius investigator. <laughs> what was Cresimere's promise? What do you think it was? So a guy just killed a king, and all of the king's royal guards that were super secret mages in the cabal said we 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 must keep Cresimere's promise. To the guy killing all the super secret mages about to kill the king. What do you think Cressmere's promise was, Nate? What do you think it had anything to do with? Hmm. Was it it maybe we need to avenge this guy? No, I think it was... I think it was... No, we promised Cressmere we'd TiVo friends. (laughs) So, we're going to need you to do that. If you don't do that, things are probably going to get bad for this kingdom. And That's true. We'll talk about this when we get to the reveal of Cressmere's promise, but it, it seems very underwritten. Well, he figures it out and like a third of the way through the book, and then they're like, oh. That's huh. bullshit. <laughs> what? Yeah. First <laughs> of all, it's bullshit. And second of all, what do we do with Adamant now? Uh, hmm. Well, let, let's, let's get another reason for him to be on the case. And he, he doesn't solve that mystery until it's too late. Yeah. And... Like, oh, what a mystery it was. Again, it, it was just silly. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, so let's let's continue on. So Thomas Thomas is discussing with one of his lieutenants, a guy named Saban, what they should do about this particularly skilled privilege that struck down powder mage after powder mage. So Thomas was thinking he wasn't going to lose many men in this coup. He had already secured the support of everyone he needed to. It was going to be pretty bloodless because this king was deeply unpopular. He was an idiot and he was about to sell out their country to a neighboring country and basically become like a colony of that country. Yeah, he was going to sign these things called the Accords that would outlaw basically everything that makes this country unique and a good place to live. And just every major political faction was disappointed with him. So he was surprised to find that one particular privileged put up a fight 
that was so much beyond the average privilege that it's suspicious and they need, she got away. They need to figure out what to do about her. And they're thinking about maybe putting some assassins on the task. And Thomas is like, okay, we'll consider it. But first he's got to deal with the king, King Manhooch the fourth or something. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know why it couldn't have been Charles just spelled funny like all the other names, but it's Manhooch. Manhooch. He goes, there's a little like back and forth between him and the king. The king like feebly tries to resist. He tries to shoot a powder mage with gun, almost as if he knew that we, the audience, didn't quite know what a powder mage was yet. And we had to demonstrate some of the powers and he had to explain it to him. So we get a little exposition about the powder mage. And Thomas basically tells this king, hey, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife. I'm going to kill all the nobles. And it's over. The guillotine. Yes. And he said, and the king says, well, the church would never let you do this. But that's when we find out that the church is in on it, too. That's how unpopular oh. this guy was. The only remaining point of interest at this stage is that they need to get uh, <laughs> they need to get Thomas a bodyguard because there's going to be royalists. Of course, there's going to be royalists. He's, you know, this rebellion, it's. First, they tell us the rebellion is over, and then they tell us, but right. not really, we're, we're still going to do some rebellion stuff, because there's probably still going to be we, a few royalists. We, we're killing literally all of the nobles, somehow, and also the king, and all of his bodyguards, and all of his mages, but there'll be some royalists, too. Uh, there's going to be some guys who, who, who want to fight us. <laughs> that is kind of an, you know, I didn't really think about this, but this is a... Another problem. It's supposed to mirror. It's not supposed to mirror, but it's it's heavily inspired by the French Revolution. But kind of like what somebody imagines the French Revolution was like after hearing about it right? once in a documentary. There- <laughs> well, that kind of feeds into my big problem with every part of this book, and I'm not sure when I should bring that up. We might as well bring it up now because we're we need to establish the military. Yes, I, I'll start by just saying that. No, it, the book didn't click with me, and it took me a little while to figure out why. And as I read more of the book, I realized it's because it was something like I would write, where I don't <laughs> know the subject very well, but like I think I know some of it, so I just kind of go with what little knowledge I have. Like Eden verse Volume 2 that we threw out, that where I'm writing about a military skirmish. And it's like... Yeah, I guess it's kind of plausible, but anyone who knows even a little about the military would like. Yeah, you find yourself googling like the googling the order of the ranks. Like, is a colonel better than a lieutenant? I don't know. (laughs) I'm a programmer, man. (laughs) I also feel a lot of sympathy in that this feels like the kind of book I did write. Especially, it feels like Edenverse. It's like you said, and I, I would say this is probably a little better than Edenverse. It's more polished, more refined. But there's a lot of just tropey, tropey, edgy concepts that you can tell the big scenes he had in his mind that he'd been thinking about for a while versus the connective tissue that he didn't really know how it was going to thread. Like he didn't really know how we were going to get from this to this to this. He knew there was going to be some showdown in the city, but he didn't know why there was going to be a showdown in the city. And it's, it's one tick against the book. It's not... You talked about story collapse, I think, in way back in The Fold 
episode. Yeah. And I kept thinking about the concept of story collapse as I was reading the book, because there are a lot of little things, little discrepancies, little leaps of logic that start to add up. And it wasn't too bad yet. It didn't bother me yet because we're still learning about what the kingdom is. What It seems like this kingdom has one city, the capital, and that's it. Yeah. So... <laughs> That's the only place it's I think little, we ever explore. Yeah, so it's a little different than France right off the bat. The political situation is totally different. The landscape is totally different. So their relationship to their neighbors is totally different. And I think that's fine. We we didn't get a problem yet. Did I mention, though, that while we're talking to the king, the king asks Thomas if this is about his wife, to which Thomas says, yes. <gasps> I think Thomas has a personal vendetta. Yes, maybe his intentions weren't as noble as we originally thought. Thomas is a complicated man, <laughs> but what? I'm a complicated man. <laughs> He's a man. He eats meat. <laughs> now you're a man, a man, man, man. <laughs> God, that song kept popping into my head while reading this book a lot. Because there's a lot of manly acts of manliness in this book. <laughs> As far as Thomas goes, he gets a bodyguard that's definitely not Havoc from Full Metal Alchemist, except this guy doesn't need sleep. It is literally Havoc. I pictured, like, I'm, I'm picturing this whole book in my mind, right? And in my mind, everybody is a real person except Havoc, who is an anime character <laughs> just standing behind them. Because that's the only way I could picture Olam. Olam is just Havoc. He's always got a cigarette in his face to Smokes the point where cigarette, it's like... Yep. I kind of wonder how he's even functioning. He literally, literally, literally always is smoking a cigarette. And sometimes more than one. Like sometimes during the course of a scene, he will finish a cigarette and roll Bam. another cigarette. He's a <laughs> He's just always smoking and and he's kind of the like he's kind of like a chill chill funny dude, super laid back, doesn't care about much. And uh but oh well, he doesn't care about much except fiercely protecting Thomas because that is his commander and that's what men do. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> I never understood that he was like he was like hey you're gonna be protecting thomas now and he was just all in on that yeah no because he shows up and he's like he's smoking as, he's, as his commander's talking to him and, his, and thomas is like you know it's that classic like backwards like i don't conform to the standards but that's why you need me like he's smoking <laughs> while his commanding officer is addressing him and the thomas is like uh you know i've i've had people flogged for this exact thing and he's like Oh, yeah? They weren't me. And Thomas is like, damn it, you're right. I like you. <laughs> you smoke as much as you want around me. And Olam's like, you're goddamn right I will. And I will follow you to hell and back, sir. He borderline falls in love with Thomas? Like, that's their connection level? <laughs> well, he also has a thing for... Yeah, no, everybody's got a big old case of the not gays. Don't, don't worry about that. But all of these manly men who are around men all the time they definitely all like women well some of them but yeah thomas is is just like ready to like jump in front he wants to jump in front of a bullet or, or olam wants to jump in front of a bullet for thomas that's the only way he'll be satisfied in life also olam doesn't need to sleep moving on well do we want to say where olam is found at first because i forgot there is a i think you're actually you're yeah we're kind of moving into the next chapter the chapters are weird too so like i've, I've organized the outline of this episode 
based on what happens in the order it happens in the chapters. And we're in like each chapter has multiple character perspectives in different locations in different parts of the city. So there'll just be like a double space. And now we're talking about people we've never met. So yeah, I guess I was going to say like, Oh, we're not there yet, but yeah, that does happen in chapter three. It just happens along with a bunch of other stuff that happens in chapter three. So yeah, by all means talk about where we find Olam. Yeah. So I thought there's only three major characters who we have points of view of, Uh, but there is a fourth that I can recall right off the top of my head. And this could have been completely cut and the book would not suffer for it at all. I don't know about that. This book wouldn't, but I suspect he wanted to establish this up front. So this is, this Nyla is the character we're going to be talking about. Nyla is 100% not important in this book, but I suspect she will be very important by the climax of the trilogy. Whereas the reason I say Adamat can be cut and Nyla can't is because Adamat's could just be totally replaced. You could bring Adamat in, I guess you could bring Nyla in later too, but at least what she's doing here is going to have some bearing on the future plot. Whereas Adamat's investigation is just, it's the dumbest thing. I will, we'll get to it, I guess, but yeah, she's a laundress for a noble, a minor noble. And she is, she has a bond with the child of the house. I guess she's basically the son that she never had. Soldiers storm in to grab everyone. And one of them is going to, uh, sexually assault her and then Olam steps in and bravely saves her by beating the shit out of him and uh, Ben do you want to talk about how that scene is written because it's really just like nonchalant like ah, oh, hope hope the young master doesn't see me getting sexually assaulted by these soldiers this was the first instance where I started to I started to experience my disconnect because, yeah, so as you established, Nyla works in the house of a noble. And of course, this is the bad time to be working in the house of a noble. Thomas's soldiers bust down the door and they threaten her. And she's described as being quite pretty. And so she's singled out. And the whole time she's sitting there, she's just like, she has this attitude that like, this is the third time this happened this week. And right. she's just like, well, it's a well, very we're just nonchalant, get- like unconcerned, emotionally flat. It's not even unconcerned. It's like almost robotic. Obviously, she doesn't, you know, want it to happen. But the way she reacted just did not read as the way a real person would react. Right. I don't know. There, how is one supposed to react? But it just didn't read as real to me. And that's where I started to have the disconnect. And so I started, I actually started to wonder, is there something we don't know about her? Is she more than she seems? Is there some reason she's not freaking out in this situation? Can she like handle this? Is this like, I, I just kept wondering what in her background is leading her to react this way. And the answer is nothing. And it's coupled with another problem of, Olam does save her, which she is grateful for. But Olam basically says, like, look, I know there's going to be some some looting, some ransacking, but Thomas wants us to make sure that none of the citizens are harmed because he's trying to get the populace on his side. So get the working people out of here. Let the working people take some of the nobles' treasure, and you guys could take a cut, and we'll just leave it at that. And so she very quickly just gets her shit together, steals some silver, grabs the kid, muddies up his hair, 
and marches him right past a couple of guards. And they're like, hey, who's that kid? And she's like, that's my kid. And they look at him and he's dirty. So they're like, oh, yeah, that can't be a noble. He's dirty. And she just walks on. And like, like it ain't no thing. Like she just commits these like espionage type tasks every day of the week. And so I kept wondering, like, is this lady some kind of badass, some kind of secret something? And the vibe I get, the vibe I get is that she will be in future books, but we just, she, she's one of the problems with this book is nobody has an arc. Every character is in the exact same spot emotionally and like maturity wise that they were in when the book started. By the, by the end of the book, not much has changed about our Well, you characters. know why that is. The characters, as you said in our private correspondence, the characters are not the point. The characters are not what this book is about. It's the magic system. Yeah. But it's hard to write 500 pages about a magic system and have anyone care about it. <laughs> God, have you ever talked to an amateur writer about their magic system? No, it is not. I've, I've heard them discussing it at a Panera, yes. That's one of the weaknesses of the book is he's not a good character writer. And every character is like, she, she's going to be some kind of secret badass, I would wager. And so that's just how he conceived of her from the beginning. She's not a laundress who grows into a secret badass. She's a secret badass who happened to be a laundress. And yeah, so that's... Oh, wow. Yeah, you're not wrong. She's a powerful and she trains under spoilers. <laughs> she faces down a... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that. Yeah, please do. All right, let's go to the other major character. Daniel, my personal least favorite character. Yes, me too. Taniel, and don't forget his... his uh, Child bride? His, cut that part out, Ben. That's a reveal. No, it's his, uh, <laughs> his companion. His companion who looks about, I don't know, 13, 14, young girl, doesn't talk. They've got a father-daughter relationship. Remember that, dear listener. Remember, they've got a father-daughter relationship, and she looks to be about 14 or so, and in some cases, maybe even a boy. What's her name? K-Poel? K-Poel? Kapoel. So that's how I'm going to say it. The important thing to know about Kapoel and Taniel is that Taniel has been on a campaign in a different part of the world, like a a colonial part of the world. And Kapoel is a native from that part of the world. And she is some kind of like tracker who uses a magic. Taniel doesn't understand. She's also mute. So she can't really explain it properly to him. So he has to guess a lot of things about her personality and her, her magic, but she's fiercely loyal to Taniel because Taniel saved her from some, enemy village Uh, that was going to exploit her in some way like they were they were taking the children uh, and sacrificing them yeah so let's let's establish their relationship a little bit because it's going to become important and it's going to be where i get off the train on this book (laughs) and we also find out that taniel well he was he was off in this colony he was out there with his fiance and apparently taniel and his fiance were like real power couple they 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 could do great things together and thomas was like 
really looking forward to the two of them getting married because Thomas is a little too involved in his son's life. And he was definitely not trying to breed better powder mages. No, he wasn't trying to do that. (laughs) Daniel does think about that, and then he never thinks about it again. If that happened, he wouldn't be sad. But maybe, you know... (laughs) He just he just really wanted these two to work out. Yeah, his fiance was someone who lived in their house. Yeah. Like grew up. Yeah, with she them. sure was. Yeah, there's a lot of weird shit going on. So the other thing that happened is uh they're not fiancés anymore because she had a little bit of an indiscretion. She she cheated on <gasps> him. And Taniel Oh my god. Taniel caught her in the act. He acted not at all like a like a coked out insane person <laughs> and grabbed the guy she was sleeping with and nailed him to the wall with his own sword. And that's how he left her and he never talked to her again. He relays all of this to Thomas, who is like not surprised that Taniel, as far as we know, killed a civilian outside of combat in a murder which was murder and was illegal this is how we're introduced to one of the heroes by the way like what we're really going to focus on here is is not the murder it's the cheating uh how could vlora do that to us thomas says yeah he doesn't say that exactly but that's the vibe (laughs) he might as well have said that how could she have done that to us even though it's like mentioned before Vlora even gets there that Taniel was making out with some barmaid, but before he slept with her, he remembered Vlora and stopped because he's a gentleman. Oh, that's good. Like that. That's good. Yeah. I forgot that part. Yeah. I hate Taniel. It's okay. It's okay to make out <laughs> with someone as long as you don't sleep with them. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm, look, everybody draws their boundaries differently, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I still just can't get over the fact that like Daniel like he he says without as any evidence as far as I know that somebody who was an enemy of Thomas hired this dude to seduce the fiance to get at Thomas or to get to, at to Daniel. get at Thomas or to get through, at Thomas yeah That's... to get at Thomas through Daniel <laughs> by ruining this perfect marriage and that so it's okay. It's okay that he just murdered a guy because <laughs> because that guy was hired by somebody they don't like. It, it's it's fine now. <laughs> he's he's basically an enemy combatant. I've learned a lot about life right now. I gotta yeah, say, he, he's basically an enemy combatant. If uh, he was hired by a dude you don't like to seduce your fiance, well, as we learned, there <laughs> he has to be ordered to attack an enemy combatant. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I don't like to speculate about where an author gets their ideas. <laughs> so I won't. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so let's just speed on this. Uh, Taniel, is, Taniel and his 14-year-old possible boy but not companion are going to be paired with two... Taniel and his pre- prepubescent daughter figure, 
go on an yes. adventure together while Taniel's just, oh, and he's just snorting gunpowder the way Olam is smoking cigarettes. Yeah, but that's okay because, like, he's a powder mage. Anyway, paired with two two uh, mercenaries to go track down that mage from the beginning of the book that we forgot about because we talked about, like, two hours ago. Uh, <laughs> one of them is a mage breaker, and I need you to remember, this is a hard magic system. So mage breakers, they can uh, nullify magic. They're a special type of privilege, and that's definitely what's going to happen when they find the trail of this lady. Are, are we good for Taniel and his adventure with his 14-year-old <laughs> prepubescent daughter son? Yes. Because the next thing you wrote here is, Adamant tells his family to skip town, his loan shark disapproves. That's all I care about, actually. That's basically all you need to know. His loan shark is upset with him, and he sent his family away. So moving on. So let's talk about Adamant real quick. Can I just summarize this first part of he goes to the library and he goes to another book source and he keeps finding that pages on whatever Cresimere's promises have been destroyed utterly? That's that's several chapters. And eventually he finds a boxer friend of his who he hires as his bodyguard. Good old Sue Smith. Oh, is that how you say it? I think actually that's I think I've been saying Sue Smith as well. So, Taniel and Kapoel and Julene is a mage, and Gothen is the mage breaker. They find the super powerful mage and barely get away from her. Gothen finds out that his mage breaker powers don't actually, like, they, they turn her power down a little bit but they don't completely block it out which has never happened before and then uh they track her down again and they find a royalist encampment i like how you put that in all caps because it's like this general's (laughs) estate or house like this general who is definitely a royalist is back in town and it's it's crawling with heilman I just like how they were hanging out in the city and like nobody knew and they were like obviously standing there guarding this house. And yes, like, probably a ton it was of people in the saw city. It. Yeah. It was in the city. It's really weird. And it's at this general's house. Yep. A guy who's known to love the monarchy. Yeah, and he was out of town and there was no way he could come back. No. They specifically there's did only it when one he was town out of town. Here. Like I don't know if there's like everybody loves this guy. I forget his name. Because I also he does nothing in the unimportant. He, he he does nothing in the story to warrant the attention he is given, and everybody loves him. He's some legendary military figure. He's like the the Douglas MacArthur of Adapest or whatever this town is, and he's 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 back. They specifically picked the date he was out of town because. They didn't want him to be there because God damn it. Thomas just respects him so much because Thomas, I thought that he could general, he could general his way out of anything. He could general his way out. (laughs) (laughs) He's the best damn general that ever generaled and Thomas, (laughs) God damn it. He doesn't like him, but he respects him because they're both men, men of the battlefield. (laughs) And they know, they know the manly arts. Now you're a I imagine Thomas always talks like, like, like Batman dialed back just two notches. 
Yeah, I figured he was a very, uh, <laughs> a very throaty man. It's not eugenics, Daniel. It's not eugenics. <laughs> I was very clear about that. I was very clear about that when I told my friend Saban. Do you want to go on to the next part where Thomas single-handedly with a few of his men almost gets murdered? (laughs) (laughs) Thomas, where Thomas decides to throw wave after wave of men at the barricades. No, this is the stupid part where he like, he goes out of his office and he's like, where did all these guys come from? Why are all the, these people here in the House of Nobles? And then the guys are oh, all Oh shit, like, I forgot about that. For the king! <laughs> all these people, just like an entire battalion of assassins. Thomas is finally going to talk to Vlora, and he's going to give her God a what for about sleeping with this other dude. Vlora is actually a very talented powder mage. She can uh, detonate powder from like two miles away or something, which is just ridiculously far. And he gives her some assignment. I kind of forget what it, what it is, but it's about that time because we're going to have an awkward little reunion here that Taniel breathless runs into the office and he's like, dad, the general's back. And he's the like, general. not God damn it. Not the I greatest general him. that ever generaled. God damn it. He can't be back. I made sure he was out of town. Why would he come he back? back to town. Just it's because he, just because he heard that the king was dead? <laughs> Why would he come back? <laughs> Who would tell him? <laughs> so I mean he'd be a really shitty general if he didn't. So Thomas is like, no, I gotta go check this out for myself or something. So he walks downstairs and there's just this line of people. And he's like, (laughs) what are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you standing in my office? It's like this line of petitioners who have come to like file their grievances with the new head of state at city hall. And the, the one guy goes, I'm here to dispute my taxes, sir. And Thomas responds that I didn't raise taxes, son. And he's like, for the king! And he he fights. And because what they were waiting for, the signal that they had all agreed upon ahead of time, was they would wait for a dramatic reveal. And then everybody would riot. And so when Thomas gives them their dramatic reveal, the entire line bursts into action. An entire conga line full of assassins. So here's the way soldiers work in this universe. There's no rules of engagement. There's no standing no. orders. If you if you are not nope. specifically ordered to do a thing, you don't do it. If no one told you specifically not to let a line of petitioners in to complain about the taxes <laughs> that don't exist, you're just going to let them in. You you just you have no reason yeah. to stop them. You have no you have no authority here. So this line of petitioners is just there, and this is another example of that like. I had an idea for a scene where Thomas Taniel and Vlora would fight a bunch of people in a closed space. I didn't know how to make that scene happen. So it just happened. <laughs> yes. It's another it's another of this sounds like something I would write, although I don't actually think I'd write this. I sympathize with that a lot because in my own writing in the past, I have taken these shortcuts where it's like I want a cool scene, but I I thought about like three cool scenes, but I don't know how to connect them. Right. And so I, I sympathize with this. I have written this and that's actually, we keep coming back to that, but I do want to emphasize that I enjoyed reading this book and this is like prime words about books, thesis statement stuff here. 
we initially started words about books because we needed to read more and we wanted to discuss and we wanted to try to improve our own writing. And this is a really great book for that because it's like you said, yes, I have a lot of problems with this book and they're all the problems I have in my own writing. And so it's really interesting to see from another perspective. So I'm grateful that we picked this book. I know I'm, we're being a little funny as we always are, but I, I did enjoy it. And and I think like what we're talking about is like, if anybody else is in the same boat, we are where you like to write and you want to improve your writing. This is kind of why we pick apart the books we pick apart is where we're trying to figure out where they go wrong and how to do it better. Right. And, and also what worked. Everybody gets away, but Vlora gets injured. She gets shot in the leg and she's like, she was asking to be put back with Taniel before this whole fight started. Like she wants to make up with him, which again, I don't want to say this is like wish fulfillment, but I find it odd that yeah, she cheated on you. Yeah, that's true. It's not good. She shouldn't have done that. But um, you then did turn around in a coke fueled rage and murder the man she, she was sleeping with right in front of her. And the fact that she would want to get back with you. Let's be fair. If she just would have made out with him using tongue, perfectly acceptable okay but but yeah here's the other thing like i don't even think taniel likes her like we established that like as she's like no taniel come back uh taniel's like yeah i don't even think i like her i think i'm just mad that she cheated on me like i think my ego is more wounded than any actual like feeling of loss he does also start to question was this eugenics? <laughs> was my dad just trying to hook us up to breed a really powerful yeah. powder mage? he's like i never I never really considered a world where I wouldn't be engaged to Flora. And actually, now that we're not together, this is kind of freeing. And I don't know. To me, it just seemed like girl cheats on you and you get to have your your big manly rage moment where you you show the guy who cheated on her and her just how not to be messed with you are and then she begs you to take her back and it's like buddy if she was begging you to take her back it's just because like you she owes your family so much and she feels some weird sense of duty to marry you she doesn't like you nobody likes you you're garbage daniel (laughs) tell us how you really feel ben yeah that's how that goes god there's a lot of adamant here that's like not all that important yeah, boy, right? Oh my god, oh. this just says there's an earthquake, which yeah, it just kind of happens every now and then, earthquakes. There's an earthquake, which is, I guess, meant to signify that something is bad now. And again, if you haven't put two and two together, fulfill Cressamere's promise, the king died, there was an earthquake, people in the city are starting rumors that maybe we shouldn't have killed the king, now the gods are upset. I wonder what Cressamere's promise can be. I think it has something to do with if you don't pay your bar tab, uh, Cressamere will be upset. So pay your bar tab, or he'll promise to throw your ass out into the street. It's no no pork and no shellfish. That was, that was the promise. And <laughs> Thomas has been eating those shrimp poppers the whole time, and... That bastard. So uh, then anyway, Thomas also, he's like sitting in his tent because he's getting ready to meet with the royalists when the earthquake happens. And after the earthquake, everything gets thrown to the ground. Everything gets messed up. And then there's he wakes up and there's this random fat guy standing in front of him. That happens to me, too, from time to time, actually. I'm not a random guy. (laughs) 
this guy says that he is the greatest chef in the world and that he's the reincarnation of the great god Adam, spelled with an O. And Thomas is like, God, I thought Adam was a saint. And he's like, ah, churches, am I right? Like, no, all the we're all the same. All the brothers and sisters of Cresimere were also gods too. And I am the reincarnation of Adam and, and I need you to trust me thomas because we're in trouble here and then something happens i forget what and then when thomas looks up the fat guy's gone have you got you must have skipped over the part where the royalists are defeated oh no i it's kind of buried in there because it just kind of happens so let's talk about the royalists (laughs) so so the royalists that's the case of like every chapter having four different perspectives that vary in time and place and i don't even know why he bothered doing chapters i don't know why he bothered even having royalists if he was going to write them off like this so the royalists they all get organized inside the city and they throw up barricades question mark and and they also got all the granaries, which were also in that part of the city, which is weird because I've never known granaries to be inside the city. They're usually like on the outskirts where you have the fields, but that's just me and my Midwestern upbringing. So I don't know. Maybe Paris has granaries in the middle of the town. But Thomas is like, all right, our plan is to surround the barricades, but we don't want to turn this into a bloodbath. I don't want to, I don't want to unleash the cannon fire and end this quickly. Let's surround them and starve them out. Oh, wait, they have all the grains. Okay, let's hear what they have to say. And then they bring out the general, the best damn general, whoever general to general and his... You know what makes it better? If you imagine that this general is the general from the auto insurance commercials. <laughs> Well, then he has to have Captain Crunch under his employ, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Adipest has a great navy, so I'm sure Captain Crunch is out there. So, so they're like, all right, here are our terms. Thomas, we'll let you, you'll be the new mages cabal, you'll retain your rank, and we'll just place this boy that was saved by Alondris. Uh, see how that was important? We're going to put him on the throne, because he's like, like 13th in line to the throne by some distant blood relation and you know it'll all be good you want to do that and thomas is like there'll be no kings okay i'm i'm thomas and what you're the general or are you then you're just everybody i i'm 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 that nobleman who who did all the talking who i think is dead and i don't remember his name so let's get this over with show me your list of demands all right so we have all we have all the grains like you don't have food so like we propose that like you just you just stop. You, you, you quit you quit rebelling. How about that? Is that a good plan? Counterpoint. I shoot you and take the grain. Okay. How about this? We put we put a, a puppet king on the throne and like you guys will be partoned. We'll all get along together great. How how's that? Counterpoint. I shoot you and don't do that. <laughs> you need you need to be reasonable, Thomas. We we can come to a negotiation that doesn't involve blowing up half the city. Counterpoint. I'm kind of okay with blowing up half the city. <laughs> and then Thomas ends by looking at the general and saying, he, they just won't see reason, general, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, Thomas, before he went to the meeting, he had a negotiation. He's like, he's like, if we had to blow up half the city, like, how many people would we lose? And they're like, a lot, but we'd win. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then and then I guess the general gets shot 
on their way to the barricade or does he get shot later? What happens is they meet, they have that discussion we just had. Negotiations go south. And then one of the Heilman fires an air rifle. He misses, probably a bad move. And then Julene just starts throwing fireballs. And she hits the general and takes his arm off. And Thomas screams, no. And has no, he's the best general. It's it's like also like she blows his arm off. His entire side is burned. And Thomas is like, he'll be okay. It's just, <laughs> you don't need your arms to live. I know he's 80, but I think he might be able to come back from this one. If anyone ever could, it was the general. <laughs> he doesn't need his arm to be a general. God damn it. He could j- I guess he can't be an armchair general, though. Ay, ay, ay. I'll see myself out. Yeah, please do. So, yeah, that's um, that's how the general ends. He does die. He, he the eighty year old man does not survive that. Yeah, yeah, he's not. Turns out he was not. He was not all that important after all. He wasn't one of the lucky few who can snort gunpowder for healing bonus. <laughs> so then, uh, Thomas employs these this street gang of assassins that exist. This is the steampunkiest part of this book. I, uh, they, this book has a habit of just introducing something right as it happens. Like, oh yeah, we have this gang of assassins that we can draw upon. And for some reason they all use razor blades. Well, you gotta have a thing. Like, didn't you ever see the warriors? I mean, look, I'm sure if a guy came at me with a razor blade, it wouldn't be great. But if I also had a gun, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'd win. What if that guy was like hella crazed? I mean, if I shoot him, you can you can be as crazy as you want, buddy. You know the funny thing? That's exactly what happens. When they come after Adamat, he just kills them. He, yes. Yeah, well that we'll get into that. It's uh the main characters definitely have plot armor, real thick plot armor. When you are right, there's the solution to every problem is not a solution you possibly could have figured out except for Cressamere's promise, which is just like duh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the Black Street Barbers are what they're called, and they just sneak through the barricades at night because the general's dead, so they didn't post guards, I guess. And then they assassinate every man and woman and maybe even child in their sleep with razor blades. What? Uh, they, they chase the super strong uh, mage, which we'll find out is a predi or predii or whatever. He tells Adamant, like, go talk to Bo. He'll tell you about Cressamere's promise. I'm gonna get out of here. And Taniel finally catches up with her towards the end, and she's like, I just want to leave. So if you leave me alone, I won't slaughter you. And so he lets her go. This is like a whole other book from what I just read, Ben. I just got done with the book, like, yesterday, and, like, where they end up is so far removed from where they started. (laughs) This whole royalist uprising has, like, no consequence on the second part of the book, which is a whole different adventure. It is quite a journey they go on. Not not an emotional or character-driven one. Oh, also the Mage Breaker dies. Nobody cared. Yeah. He melted. He melts into, like, soup. Yeah, he melted. (laughs) It was a bad time. Julene's kind of sad about it, but she gets over it pretty quick. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, the the Blackstreet Barbers kill all the royalists, and they capture the little kid. Nyla, who is the laundress, swears revenge. 
She's going to starch his collars extra tight. And then... Yeah, that'll get him. To be honest, that is the first half of her plan. But it turns out Thomas likes it that way. (laughs) There is a line where where Thomas says that she starches... She's the only person to ever starch his collars right. So that's the first part of the book. No, that's not the first part. I wanted to say one more thing. There's an, oh God. There's one more big reveal. I wanted to end specifically on chapter 14 because I feel like that's <laughs> where the book really <laughs> really shifts. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, you're right, though. There is a definite shift here. Two main events that happened in chapter 14. The people who started all this off, if you remember correctly, that the whole reason they killed the king was because he was about to sell their country out to the nation of Kez. And the Kez delegates are about to show up and Thomas is about to tell them that he's rejecting the record, the accords, and he's going to try to find another way to avoid war. (laughs) I'm going to make that patented Thomas negotiation. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm Thomas. I'm walking up to the docks. I'm getting ready to greet the Kez delegation. It's like had a good breakfast this morning. I'm ready to start my day. I'm ready to ready to have a good time. Let's do this. All right, I'm I'm walking out of the boat. I'm like extending my hand. Hey, how's it going, Thomas? I punch you in the face. It's you. You killed my wife. Oh God, it wasn't anything personal. You got a lot of balls. You got some big swinging cojones walking up to my country. Get the hell out of here. I'm just here to negotiate for my emperor. I punch you again. <laughs> You get back on that ship, you march the hell out of here, and you tell your emperor, I'm going to kick him in the d-. <laughs> This is This is an act of war, you realize that, right? And then I kick you in the d- and then I throw you in the ocean. <laughs> you might have to cut some of that, I got a little, Tom, Thomas got a little heated there. You might have to bleep that. <laughs> and, then, and then some guy is just like, uh, cut Thomas some slack. I know he just started a war that, like... So, so I'm Thomas, right? I had a good day, and it, w- it went real south real quick. So now I'm coming back, and, like, I just threw that guy in the ocean, just doomed our country to war. Oh, look, here's my advisors. Hello, advisors. See what I did there? Really showed that guy what for. What the hell was that, dude? We just... We are not equipped to fight a war right now. Look, you guys don't have what it takes. I, I would trade all of you for half of the general, which is about what's left of him. I don't even need y'all. I don't even need y'all. You don't know me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I did to get there. I, you know what? I, you know, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going back to my, my little castle, and I really hope that they remembered not to let the protesters in. So, bye. <laughs> They had to be specifically ordered <laughs> not to let them in this time. And yeah, so that's how Thomas started a war, and everybody's just cool with it. Well, to be fair, someone's like, hey, that guy killed his wife. Yeah, maybe. So, like, it's just Maybe, 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 hear me out, maybe. Shouldn't have sent him to the negotiation. Which 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 person should they not have sent? Thomas. Thomas. I assume Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> yes, never send Thomas to the negotiation. <laughs> Well, he, to be fair, he negotiated really well with the general in that he uh, blew half his body off and killed all of his supporters. So, And that was a guy he you know. liked. Yeah. So, you know. Nay loved for reasons. But there is a group of people who are responsible for this revolution, right? All the big right. movers and shakers, all the political people. 
any one of them can derail this government at any point in time. That's why they all needed to be on the same page for this. So if I were, again, any one of them, I would have kicked Thomas out immediately. I, quite frankly, I feel real bad about what happened to your wife, but we will learn later that Thomas's wife was a spy and she yes. got caught spying and it, she was... It was a justified execution. Ten times more justified than what Thomas's son did to that guy who was stooping his fiance. And it's <laughs> like, this, this was one disconnect for me because when Thomas did that, I thought, oh shit, there's like, if this had happened in, you know, a George R.R. R. Martin thing, like consequences are going to be swift and severe for that. Right. Thomas would be thrown out. You're going to commit hundreds of thousands of people to a violent death and starvation and disease and all the other wonderful things that come along with war because your wife was a spy who got caught spying on people like and don't get me wrong i'm sure it was a noble cause and everything but that's the game man if you can't play the game you shouldn't be in charge of a state and so the fact that there were no repercussions for that that was one thing that took me out because that should have been a real challenge for thomas and again i feel like it was one of those things where it was like cool scene it's one of those things where when you read a history book on how wars are fought, it's one nation versus another, and you never zoom in to the microscopic level of people and families and et cetera, et cetera. It's always like, well, when one when one nation declared war on the other, they just, the entire people got behind that war, except for the times it was specifically written that they didn't. All right, you want to end there, since that is that is kind of a major part of the I want to do book. one more skit. Oh, geez. I want you to be Adam at... And I will be Bo. You've come to the Night's Watch. I mean the Mountain Watch. And <laughs> <laughs> where we where I I Bo have taken the black, I mean joined the Mountain Watch. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Bo, am the other adopted child of Thomas. And you, Adamat, are here to ask me a question. Alright. Hey, Bo. It's privileged. Bo. Sup, brah? Welcome to the Mountain Watch. It's super chill. We got our own bar. You want a drink, man? I can get you a drink. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you've uh, seen any wildly. I mean, if you've heard about what Cresimere's promise is. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but like the king is dead. Yeah, shit, bro. I heard that. Yeah. yeah Cresimere's promise. You, you mean that thing that like if, you know, king ever dies, like all the privilege got to avenge him and, you know, like if. If they if they can't, like Cresmere's gonna come back and do it himself. Oh, oh, I didn't know that because all the books I read were uh, destroyed and I couldn't intuit that. But like, how did you not know that? Ren, does this does well, this entire country not go to church? It's like a founding tenet of uh, our religion. Yeah, but you know, Manhooch was so bad of a king, he just never mentioned that. Like, <laughs> for some reason, like every man, woman, and child should probably know about the divine right of kings to rule, and if, if you kill one, you're cursed. Like. Like killing a king is is killing your own king, especially. That's that's like that's a huge sin that always has been a sin. That's like like if I were a king. Now, don't get me wrong, man. Cressmere totally real, totally real, and uh, is gonna come back. Like that's just gonna happen. You better get used to that. Um, but uh, like even if you weren't, like if I were a king in a heavily religious society, like the very first thing I would do 
is tell everybody that God told me that I was king and that he'd be really mad if I wasn't king anymore. That's like the first thing I would do, whether it was true or not. And the fact that in this case, and I'm being honest here, if the fact that in this case that it is true, that God himself will come down and smite thee if you kill a king, that, uh, wow, like, I would say that. I would end every sentence with that. Yeah, well, he didn't. And also, it can only be found in, like, ancient textbooks that are easily destroyed. Didn't any of the so, prey, when you killed them, say that Cressamere's promise had to be kept? Uh, that spell we put on it, ourselves? It was mentioned. What, what the hell did you think they were talking about? What do you think their job is, man? Uh, I think... I thought they were talking about, like, you know, Cressamere, he's promised to, uh... What do you do for love women? and cherish us? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm an, I, I'm a drifter. Uh, yeah. Oh man, that's that's what it is. You should join the Mountain Watch, dude, because book reading ain't your thing. Yeah, I would be embarrassed if I were a detective, <laughs> but thank God I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, actually, I tried to start up a business with like a printing press, but it exploded. <laughs> you know, I bet. Like I'm just I'm just Bo. I just met you. I don't I don't know much about your story other than that you had a printing press that seemed like a really good idea and it exploded. Do you ever think maybe somebody sabotaged it? I I couldn't think of who except for my loan shark. That's the thing, man. I bet I bet you should probably look into that. I bet that's going to be important in another book. Anyway, I got some stuff to do. Is there anything else you need to talk to me about? Yeah, there's some woman I ran into who said that she's going to come for you. I slap uh, you in the face. I don't know what that means. I slap you across <laughs> the face. Who? I shake you. I shake you. I was like, who? Who told you that? Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Throw <laughs> Rosalia or something. I throw Jesus you Christ. to the ground. I throw you to the ground and I run away. Full sprint. Ah, that was a little weird. I guess I should just go and slowly and casually make my way back to town. I guess. Nothing strange about that. You hear me screaming in the distance. <laughs> and that is where I would like to end this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, shit. Uh, next week, we're going to continue talking about Promise of Blood. Do you think this will be a three-parter? I don't know. I think it's leaning towards a three-parter. We're, we've been kind of just going, going around about. Great. So, do you want to do all that outro stuff? Uh, yes, I will do all that outro stuff. So, you guys know the drill. Check us out on Twitter at WABpod. Check out the blog, blog.wordsaboutbooks.ninja. I think I'm going to start throwing our Goodreads reviews up on there as well, if you're ever curious about just what a generic review looks like from one of us. And you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com if you feel like we deserve a little something extra. I got a new plug this week, though, that I wanted to throw out there. There is a new podcast in the Poorly Spoken family called Words About News. If you're ever looking for a quick summary of the headlines, there's Words About News. We're also going to be launching the poorlyspoken.ninja website here. I don't know, probably tonight. By the time this episode goes up, it'll be up. So check that out. And where are we reading next month, Ben? Oh, next month. Why don't you cover that? All right. Next month. I've actually already started, and I think I'm towards the end of the Ghost Hunters Adventure Club and the Secrets of the Grand Chateau by Dr. Cecil H.H. H. Mills, a totally real person and not just Aaron Ego Raptor Hansen in some makeup. So look forward to that. 
please, for the love of God, listen to words about books. <laughs> if you don't, an angry God is going to come down. Right. That's right. Ruin that's you. right. That's that's Cressamere's promise. That's what it was. If you don't listen to words about books. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Good night, everyone. Later.